Esther Joy King. Welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. How are you doing today? Hi, hi, Eric. Uh, I'm pleased to be here. Well, I appreciate your time. You are such a busy person. You're running for Congress to the 17th District of Illinois. You've got this amazing background. You've been a missionary. You've helped out in Afghanistan. You're an army officer. You're an entrepreneur. What are you doing getting into politics? Well, Eric, um, I often, when people ask me that question, I turn it back and say, are you happy with what's happening in our country, Eric? Oh, that's good. No. <laughs> me neither. So I decided in getting into this, um, if I'm not standing up to be part of the solution, what am I even doing? So I'm running for Congress. You've had these awesome experiences. You've done so many different things. What of those experiences or how they come together do you feel makes you uniquely qualified to be able to add and improve on what's going on? Yeah. Um, so I am amazed every single day, Eric, uh, when I, in this campaign and running for Congress, how the skill sets that I've developed over my, my career and just my life, um, how they all attribute to preparing me for not just the campaign aspect of it, but uh, being a representative. So for example, uh, I went to law school, like we have that in common, right? I also, uh, during law school, I decided to go above and beyond, and I also got a master's of law in taxation. When I was making that decision in law school, it was much more about, man, I, I want to do my best. I want to push myself and, and get as much experience as possible and, and gather as much learning as possible. I never thought, oh, I'm going to go help make tax policy and pass tax laws in Congress. Uh, but that's, a, that's an experience that I bring with me to being an incredible representative down the road. What would be one, one tax issue that you think that you would want to, that you think should be looked at from a federal level that can help people in Illinois? Yeah, I just talked with a business owner yesterday uh, about taxing savings accounts and, and counting it as income. So for example, she was saying, I was trying to save money uh, to have an emergency fund for my business so that I would be able to pay, like save up six months of payroll. Uh, but it was just hard because I was being taxed on accepting that as income rather than if I reinvested it in the company, I could get more uh, tax deductions. So, and especially the pandemic is highlighting the need for people to have strong savings accounts in case of emergency. So one thing that just we, I was tossing around with a, a constituent, a business owner here, like what we created uh, a tax, like a tax-free savings account for emergency funds. So that's just an idea. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways that tax policy can be used to support the growth of an economy and helping helping um, businesses align with their their own interests, rather than taking our money away, um, which I know the government of Illinois likes to do. Like you're you're well aware, um, the government of Illinois is particularly inclined to take our money from us. 
Uh, however, particularly at the federal government, I'm excited to work on putting money back in our pockets as just people. Um, I don't think that the government needs to take as much money as it's taking from us right now. We're both judge advocates and I was just at school. My roommate is from Ohio and he told me he'd never live in Illinois because it is a tax dungeon. Oh man, it's a good, right. a good phrase. Yeah, so I appreciate you trying to get us out of the dungeon. I want to go back a little bit to how it all started with you. Your parents were Christian or are Christian missionaries. Are they still are they still doing it? Are they retired? They are. Yes, they have been committed missionaries um, for more than thirty years already. So they're they're a pretty extraordinary example for me as their daughter to just see that is the that is a, what a life of service looks like um so i'm pretty thankful to to have them as my parents you talked a lot about how you'd have these opportunities to do public speaking as a child and i haven't seen this before you you lived in were you in juarez yeah so i lived right on the border uh and some of the time so we sometimes lived in mexico we sometimes lived in el paso texas just depending on the season, depending on what was going on. Um, but we lived on both sides of the border at different times in my childhood. What was, at the time, excuse, let me take it back. What I've heard, and I don't know if this is tr true, but Juarez is a very like cartel controlled town. Yeah. Was it like that when you were growing up? Like what, what was oh, it like? Yeah. No, okay. Yeah, so um, the the increase in danger and the the drug trafficking it's kind of happened in the last 15 years or so and so i like it was starting to get bad right about when i was leaving for college so um i do remember eric i remember the cartels um being like it was definitely there but it, they didn't control the entire city like i think is probably um, more of what's happening right now. So I remember like as a kid, there was a church that we worked at and we'd go visit on a regular regular basis. And there was a field across from this church. So I remember one time as a kid that the whole field had been blocked off and like there was police tape and there, there was people digging in that field. And I found out later on, oh, um, they were, they had found a cartel like burial ground where they were just dumping bodies. So the police were investigating that and, and recovering um, people that had been burnt, murdered by the cartel. So I remember like instances of it, but it wasn't just this whole um, overwhelming sense that everybody lived in fear all the time because of the cartels. You've talked about how that experience has given you some insights into your immigration policy. Today, as it stands, how do you see going forward? What can, what can be a couple things that we can do to make sure immigration works better than it does now? Yeah, um, well, I'm, I have a business background, right? So I truly believe that the government should focus on serving people, particularly bringing an attitude of customer service and uh, the the I saw firsthand how the immigration process is overburdensome, bureaucratic, expensive, and the way the reason I had an intimate front row seat to that, my sister, uh, she ended up marrying a gentleman who had come to the United States on a student visa 
overstayed, so he was here illegally, and uh, they met and fell in love and ended up getting married. Oh. And then they decided, you know, we want we want to live our lives within the law above board. So he turned himself in and was deported. And wow. they so they were married, living separately for about three or four years while he applied for his visas to come back to the United States. And so I was the one that got when my sister was like up late at night trying to fill out the, the paperwork hey, Esther, can you help me figure out these forms? You're a lawyer, like, please help. And how expensive it was, how they had to save up money just to apply, like do application fees. And it was just um, a huge burden to their to their family life uh, to have to go through the immigration process when um, I believe it should have, we as a government, we as the American people, deserve a functional government and particularly welcoming people, Eric, who are going to be value adds to our country. We know that they're eager, that they want to build lives for themselves. They want to contribute to the economy. They have skills that are going to be valuable here in the United States. When people like that want to apply to come to the United States, we should, they should be able to come in a more customer service friendly way. So I really believe, Eric, that we need to overhaul our legal immigration system to be able to welcome people that are going to be contributing members of our community here in the United States um, and not overburden them with a bureaucratic process to get to the America. How do you, how, what, what's one or two things that you think we could do from a legal standpoint to get that done? Is there, is there certain regulations or certain things that um, like, for example, like the ju- I know the judges have to see people at a certain time frame when they come through the border, or is this a, com- we're talking separate issue, right? We're talking just strictly legal immigration. Someone wants to come here, maybe they have a good skill set. How do we get them in? You're saying that's the overburdensome problem. Or one well, yes, and it, and it pushes uh, the burden into the illegal immigration problem, because if it's really hard to get to our country legally, then people are might think, oh, I'm just, I've heard it's okay uh, for me to cross the border. I'll just go this, this route and we'll figure it out on the other side. Um, so the burden of the legal immigration system certainly causes, diffuses the problem into the illegal immigration process. Um, and ultimately it's on, on the illegal immigration side, there is, um, people are putting their lives in danger. Like the immigration conversation has been so overtaken by like single, single headline issues rather than actually investigating and understanding what's happening and what the process is for people. And it's really, it's actually laughable to me that Uh, The Democrats try to present themselves as the compassionate party on immigration because really what they're telling is they're saying to people, um, come here outside of the legal immigration process, make your very first act coming to this country, breaking the law by coming here illegally, and then live outside the system, try to make ends meet, try to figure out how to get a job. And it's just such a uncompassionate way to bring people to our country and it's it's not 
it's a it cheapens um, the immigration process. That said, we absolutely need to overhaul our legal immigration process to be able to welcome people who are going to be contributing members of our society. We should be um, looking at each of the agencies that uh, touch and, and operate in the realm of immigration and processing visas and processing applications to come to our country, asking, do we have the correct amount of manpower? Um, we, we also need to look at um, immigration courts. Uh, they, they, their judges have different uh, uh, powers than a judge would in a in our regular system and so maybe we need to look at um, making them empowering judges more fully to enforce their orders um, there's there's a lot of different things but I believe it that we can work on in the immigration process Eric but I believe it starts with making sure our agencies that are working on immigration are fully funded, have all the resources they need so that they get rid of backlogs in the system. Um, I think hiring good people in those agencies that do have business backgrounds and customer service ideals uh, to bring that to government because ultimately we are, we are the government as an ideology, like as what is it for? Like it's of the people, by the people and for the people, right? So if the government isn't serving people, it's not doing its job. And so applying that to the immigration agencies, I think is really important. I really like how you frame that as a issue of compassion. I've never heard that before. I was, I'm, I'm, I've never heard that before. And I'm, I'm fairly, <laughs> I've heard a lot of Republicans talk, but no one's actually said it like that. You know, who else does a good job of framing things differently is our president, President Trump. You've been a, a supporter of his. I'd be curious when you talk to others in your district or in the area and someone comes up to you and, they're, and you, you talk about the president and they're like, that guy, he's a fill in the blank, uh, blah, 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 racist, blah, blah. How do you talk to people in a open, compassionate manner about the president? Because it seems like a lot of times the conversation is just like, he's the worst person ever or... I'm throwing a parade for him. You're right. There is a lot of extreme on this issue, Eric. And I think it comes to, again, understanding people and, uh, and taking, accepting people. So for example, today I talked to a donor um, who has supported me in the past and I mentioned uh, the support I'm getting from the White House and that kind of thing and in helping win this race. And he was extremely disappointed. And like, he's like, Esther, I hope you do well, but I can't support you anymore because I don't support the president. And man, that hurts. Like, yeah. bummer to have someone who has been so supportive of me in the past bring the presidential campaign into whether he can support me as a person is tough. Um, but kind of the approach I took, like I sent him an email after just saying, hey, I'm really saddened by the approach that you're taking. And I understand it's complicated and everybody has a different perspective on what's going on. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the support that you have given me. And I hope to earn your trust. And I like, we're going to continue our relationship. I'm going to keep talking to him. 
Um, and I think it's something that I have to work on to build trust with this, with this person and then beyond with, with each and every person that is, is a voter and is in the district. Uh, it's about relationship, right? And it's about meeting them where they're at and understanding their point of view and whether someone loves or hates the president, um, accepting them for where they're at and, and giving them a space to express because more often than not, people's opinions on the president have a lot more to do with, with what's going on inside of them and a lot less to do with what's happening at, in the news or at the national level. But we are get like, just as humans, we get frustrated, we get scared, we get angry and it tends to express itself. I find for myself and for a lot of people I meet, those emotions tend to express themselves in our opinions about what's happening at the national level. Um, and so to see someone as a human being and accept them for where they're coming from is a lot more effective than to try and argue with someone or be like, no, you're wrong because like who's, whose mind has ever been changed or whose opinion has ever been influenced with a sentence that begins, you're wrong because. <laughs> zero probably going on zero. <laughs> right. What, do you, uh, so you got retweeted by the president. I believe it was Esther and all caps was Esther is great. Or I think maybe just the word great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Esther is great. How I did really, you? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just, I really wish that it had been Esther is great. Just like America. <laughs> well, that would have been perfect. Right. Right on brand. That's what we're working on. Making America great again. Did you, how did you find out about the tweet? Were you just looking at your phone and all of a sudden you got a notification and it's like Donald J. Trump. No, I actually don't. I mean, we have a, we operated Twitter in the campaign because I guess it's, you have to be on Twitter, but I personally don't use Twitter very often. From time to time, I do jump on and, and I participate, like the, the tweets are from me often, but I avoid even reading Twitter and looking at Twitter at all. So the way I actually found out, Eric, is my younger brother, who is a teacher in Egypt, screenshotted it and sent it to me and was like, Hey, did you see this? I was like, <laughs> no, actually, David, I hadn't seen that yet. So my little brother in another country saw it before me and he was the first person that told me about it. I want to do a hypothetical with you and we'll, we'll use Twitter as an example. You get in office, you win the election. First day of Congress, you're in, I don't know. It was, what is the building? This is so bad. I should take a civics. <laughs> The Capitol building. Yes, the Capitol building. You're in the Capitol building. I should add that out. Anyways, so you're in the Capitol building, right? First day. Spelled with an O-L at the end. <laughs> oh, with an O-L? Well, yeah, because a lot of people would spell capital, like capital oh. letter, C-A-P-T-I-A-L, but capital, like the United States Capitol is spelled C-A-P-T-I-O-L. You know, for anyone who ever accuses me of not having a podcast where people learn things, there you go. So first day in the Capitol building, you're, you're walking down the aisle and you trip and you just, you fall flat on your face. And for some reason it's caught it on video. <laughs> it could totally happen. Right. And it's like the viral video. It's like first term representative falls down. You have to tweet a response. What do you tweet? Why is this making the news? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
I don't know. To me, the drama of the news cycle and everything that happens is just like, I don't know. I think people are, people are looking for events that catch people's attention to make money, to maybe earn themselves power. Um, but ultimately, I think we need to focus on, particularly in politics, right? We need to focus on what what is actually going to make the world a better place. So right now, if we're so right now, the big news cycle is the Supreme Court justice. That's the you know that's the thing everyone's talking about. Before mm-hmm. that, it was it was COVID. Before that, it was whatever Trump tweeted that day. You know how it goes. How do you, in general, prioritize what's most important to you? Uh, by talking to people in the Illinois 17th. So right now, um, one thing that I hear about every single day is how expensive health insurance is. And we have a lot of, um, well, first of all, we have a large population of small business owners. And we also have a lot of farmers and farmers tend to be self-employed, right? Because they own their own farms. They run their own businesses as a farming in a company. And they have to often pay for their own health insurance and they don't get it from work, so to say. Um, so I hear all the time about the, the unsustainable costs of health insurance right now. So that's a top priority for me. Um, I think that I can bring, I have like problem solving skills uh, just from who I am as a person, from the way I've lived my life, whether it's being a lawyer or whether it's being a small business owner, all these like back to what we were talking about at the beginning, all these experiences that I've collected have made me a a passionate person about problem solving and getting things done. So bringing that to the table and, and orienting towards let's solve this issue rather than using it as a political football issue where, Hey, it it helps us to have healthcare in play because then we can get reelected more effectively if we can talk about this and attack our opponents on that. Um, Rather than playing that game, instead focusing on, okay, what is in the best interest of American people? How do we um, create competitiveness in the healthcare insurance market to create a reduction in cost? How do we solve prescription drug pricing and make prescription drugs cheaper without compromising the uh, innovative system that we have? Like America has so many um, drug development because we're, people are incentivized, uh, health company, healthcare companies are incentivized to develop good drugs because of our system here. So we have to make sure and lower the cost of prescription drugs without compromising the innovation and the research and development that happens in drug development. So it's really complex, uh, but I think there's a lot of things that we can do to, to orient towards solving health insurance cost crisis that we have in our country. It sounds like when you get to Congress, that's going to be your, you said that kind of like your, your big priority, you're going to need to build a coalition to do that. Congress's approval rating is about 20%. I think the only thing lower than that right now is Trump's approval rating in the Biden household. How do you plan to work with people and bring them together to actually get things done and reverse this trend of this just constant partisan bickering? Yeah. Um, 
Eric, it's, you're right. That is, it is the dilemma, the quandary of going to Washington, D.C. And um, I believe, like we've talked about, I do have skills that I bring to the table that will, uh, will be huge benefits in that process. So um, being relational, building those coalitions, connecting with people is of top priority, absolutely. Not just on the Republican side, but crossing boundaries and, and working across the aisle. Um, I love controversial, complex, hard conversations. Um, I seek them out. I go to the pe person that I would most disagree with in a room often and start a conversation with them. Uh, because I think that that's, that's how we have to build bridges. That's how we have to seek to work together. Um, so starting there, but then ultimately, uh, Eric, my job is not to be popular with people. My job is to serve my congressional district. So really the only true focus I have is meeting with, being connected with, listening to, and being part of the Illinois 17th Congressional District, learning what's important to my people here in this district, and then carrying that and being a megaphone for our values in Washington, D.C. So that is a top priority. Like popularity for Congress, I don't think, I don't think we deserve to be popular in Congress. Uh, but as long as I'm keeping my head down and focused on what's important and staying grounded and connected to my community here in, in the Illinois 17th, I think I can do the right thing here for this congressional district, for my congressional district here. That's an interesting idea to have, find like the toughest conversation to have and then seek it out. Can you give an example of a time you've done that and how it turned out? Um, so... Just last week, I went to a lighted parade in, I believe it was Alpha, Illinois, is where I was. And then after the parade, there was a get-together at the American Legion, which is a, a post where a lot of veterans become members, and there's, there's like a community gathering um, for veterans and veteran families. So they had a, a get-together at the bar at the American Legion right after and a lot of people in the room were my supporters. They were excited about my campaign, but almost everybody that I spoke with, like elbowed me and was like, don't talk to that guy. He's a Democrat. Like after five or six people pointing to the same guy and saying, don't talk to that guy. What do you think I did? I walked up to him. Uh, we had an awesome conversation and I, I was like, Hey, I heard you support my opponent. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, and we had a, a good conversation and the, we found common ground, Eric. So uh, for example, uh, the funniest thing that we found in common was he was telling me about his opinion of Mitch McConnell. And I was like, uh, his name was John. I was like, John, um, I feel the same way about Nancy Pelosi that you feel about Mitch McConnell. Like, I think Nancy is a um, partisan, stick in the mud out for her own party only and not helping anybody else uh, and certainly not serving the American people. And so we laughed and kind of had a, a funny interaction about how we had so much in common, but we just had it about opposite people. 
It's funny how it's, uh, you ever heard the two movies on one screen? It's like you can be watching the same thing, but because of your kind of your background, it's like you can be watching the same thing and you're like, oh, Pelosi, this and that. And then meanwhile, the person next to you is like, I can't believe McConnell would do that. It just <laughs> happens all the time. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. Let's go with. Okay. What do you think is the biggest threat to, and just to say first thing that comes to your head. You actually kind of went off video. I, yeah, I'll be right back. So I'm still here, yeah. Okay. Just got to turn light. Oh, you're, no, too good. What do you think is the biggest threat to Illinois jobs? China or the Democratic Party? Democratic Party. Why? Here in Illinois, because taxes are high, driving businesses out of the state. And uh, when you don't have good, solid economics, you don't have good jobs for people to have thriving, flourishing lives. I agree. <laughs> Tax dungeon. I once had an idea for an app, so please don't steal it. You're ethical. You won't do that. But I had an idea for an app that allows you to pull up your seat at a restaurant, order, and pay through the app. It's essentially what Chili's has, but on your phone. What's an original idea of yours that you think could work, but you haven't told many people about? Can be a political. It can be a political idea too. Um, one dream I have is of starting a website called thepurple.com. I own that URL, um, and it would be a news site that commentates on other news articles. So you would you would go to the website and you would click on a news article and you would have the standard news article, but then you would see commentary by a left-leaning commentator and a right-leaning commentator to kind of give you a perspective of why they thought that article might be biased or objective or what they liked or didn't like based on the presentation of, of a news story. So kind of helping people get outside our own, our own bubble of news and see things from a different perspective to double check, like, where are my biases? What am I, what am I, buying into and what are my where am i like um confirming my own beliefs without double checking it's like a trillion dollar idea you know that right <laughs> i wasn't running for congress maybe i'd be doing that here's another one let's see okay so remember in college when you go out for a night or maybe you just go and do something and you know it's one of those times when you're just like I don't want to look at my bank statement this is so awkward and then you like wait a day and then you're like oh I do have point dollars a lot of Americans are going through that now what's one thing that when you get to Congress that you want to do to help encourage people save I know you mentioned the savings idea earlier but what's something else that you think can help people just in general just get some sort of savings going. So if something does happen in the future, they can have a little more of a cushion. Yeah. Um, Eric, what I actually think it goes back to is learning financial uh, healthy practices and having a, a financial education, which where in life are we actually taught that? And so I think uh, what I would love to do is to help fund educational efforts to teach financial literacy. Would you do that 
starting statewide with your district? Is there a certain area you'd want to look at? How do you, in your head, how do you see that program working? Yeah, so at the federal level, I would see it as a grant or um, a, a, a appropriation for educational programs. And then usually the way it works is school districts will apply for it or um, ask for that funding to come to their, their area. When you, you talked earlier about compassion and you seem like you, you do a great job of when you talk to people, you really connect like this conversation. I feel like you're, we're very, like, it's just kind of you and I talking, which is good because it is you and I talking. And it sounds like when you go out and you meet people, they just, <laughs> yes, I don't think you're just blowing me off or something like that. But in general, you have this great way. It seems like you connect with people. You seek out people that have differing opinions right now, especially with the Supreme Court nomination it sounds like the Republicans are going to, they have the votes. They're going to appoint someone. I know a lot of people are worried that now it's going to be conservative. Roe v. Wade might get overturned. How do you recommend people have civil conversations to share viewpoints on this issue so that it doesn't turn into just a big, this yeah. is bad, this is bad? Yeah, that is such a, such a, key issue that we face like just in the last couple of days eric i've talked with at least three people who have told me stories or said things about their relationship with family members even and they're like yeah i don't talk to my sister anymore or i don't talk to my father anymore and it's because of <coughs> excuse me it's because of political conversations um and it's a skill set it takes a lot of self-awareness to, to talk with people we disagree with and, and understanding what's in it for us and also being able to look at like our own projections and, and even hypocrisy in, in things. Like um, I, if I could do anything, I would implement a rule for a day and say to the entire country, particularly politicians and people that are speaking in the political world, I would say everything you say, it's a, um, um, what is, what was it called growing up? Like capital opposite day, like where, whatever you say, you're saying the opposite of it. Sure. I would say to politicians, like whatever you say about the other person, you're actually saying about yourself. So if you're going to call someone else a liar or someone else a racist, like you have to look at it for yourself and you're like, wow, I'm actually speaking about myself. So every tweet wow. that people make, everything that people make, like I just declare opposite day for a day in the political world to be like, everything you just said, you actually said about yourself. Now take a look at it, examine what's going on inside of you and maybe like figure out, oh man, maybe I'm actually part of the problem. Maybe I could be doing a better job um, not throwing spewing biases into the world um so for taking it back to like the dinner table and having hard conversations with people we love um i think it's it's really staying in it and having an agreement between two people to to stay in the fight to 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 be willing to understand each other and like hey if my temperature if my blood pressure rises if i'm starting to get angry, like take a deep breath, maybe take a break, but come back to it and, and a willingness not to cut off the conversation. Cause ultimately I do believe like 
every American has, I think, um, good intentions and desires for our country. So, for example, probably every single American would say, yes, I think children should receive a good education. Or, yes, I think everyone should have the opportunity to have a good, well-paying job. Like, every American is going to say yes to those visions for our country, right? So it's a question of uh, methodology more than anything. So if we can say uh, with someone we disagree with, oh, it just, what one thing that just came to mind, there's a really great book. I think I want to, I want to say it's by Arthur Brooks. Um, and it's like how to talk to people you disagree with, or I can Google it and find the title for you. Um, but it's a really great book about how to have hard conversations. And it's learning phrases like, you know, I disagree with you, but help me understand where you're coming from. Or if someone says something that you disagree with, just simply saying, say more and digging more into where they're coming from. Because sometimes misunderstandings happen and we might have more in common than we realize. And it's really just a matter of digging through the layers and, and finding the human in each of us, if that makes sense. Makes more sense than anything I've said in a while. <laughs> Although you are the one running for Congress, so I'm glad it's you. I actually tried something similar one time. I followed Chris Hayes and AOC on Twitter for a week just to see how I how I did. And I still follow Chris Hayes. I did have to exit from uh, AOC, but uh, maybe I need to read that book and have more hard conversations with myself about it. Two more questions, and I'll get you out of here. Second to last you are ambitious. You had this wonderful career. You've worked big jobs. You've had your own jobs. Sorry, what? Oh, the book. I think it's called Love Your Enemy. Love Arthur your Brooks, enemy. Love Your Enemy. All right, everyone. Let's go support Arthur Brooks. Let's support Esther first, but then Arthur Brooks. What is your, what is your morning routine like? For someone who does so much, I mean, you're on a podcast at seven night. You probably got stuff after this. Or maybe just what is like, what is, uh, what's a good, how do you do all this? Like, what do you, what is like your motivation? I know you want to help people, but like, like how? You just nonstop. Um, Eric, do you want my ideal morning routine or my actual morning routine? <laughs> how, about a, a, how about this? Let's start with the ideal and then we'll go to the actual. Okay. Ideally, I would be in bed every night by 8.30 or so and awake at 4 a.m. Do a workout. So I, I live right on the Mississippi River. So I have an incredible running path. Um, run the Mississippi in the morning, have a devotional time, uh, prayer time. My faith is really important to me. So making sure that I have those, um, those like stalwart uh, elements in my day before I get started. That's ideal morning routine. Actual morning routine is a little more chaotic. Um, I do sometimes snooze and sometimes I'm like, okay, now like what can I cut out of my morning routine? Yeah. Uh, and, and often, you- sadly, often it's breakfast and that, that doesn't go well if I cut out breakfast. <laughs> but. You know, you gotta, you gotta cut out. I know, I feel like I do the same thing. I'll be like, 
I'll snooze. I like to meditate and I'll like snooze and then I cut my meditation out. And it's like, that's like my favorite, like one of my favorite parts of the morning. All right. Last question. You are very, you're a very family oriented person. You've talked a lot about your parents and how they helped raise you and how amazing they are. I want you to take a moment and pretend we're at you know, an award show. And I want you to give your parents an award and just briefly explain to the crowd uh, what the award is and why you're giving it to them. That is a great question, Eric, and ton Thank of fun you. to think about for my parents. Um, I would give my parents an award for faithfulness. Um, they have served for over 30 years on the mission field, and they are just consistent people. And they are they have been consistent throughout my whole life and just an incredibly exemplary way. Like I talked at the beginning, just what an example they were in serving, but also just in daily habits. Like for example, um, as I mentioned, my faith is really important to me. So my parents have been incredible examples of living a strong spiritual life. So my mom reads her Bible every single day and I've seen her do it every single day for my entire life. And she'll often read out loud, like she'll carve out moments um, just, and she'll sit at the table. And then if people are around her, she'll read out loud to us. And so um, she's read through the entire Bible every year from since before, my, like before my parents got married. Um, so just that commitment and consistency that all adds up to faithfulness is such an incredible example and a gift to me and a gift to all my brothers and sisters for like allowing us to have a springboard into life. Um, and I truly believe I'm able to accomplish a lot of what I'm accomplishing with my life because of the foundation that my parents gave me. Well, I, I'll clap for that. They're amazing people. I'm really grateful for them. Oh, you're pretty amazing too. And thank you for being so open and, and sharing that. Before we get off in a minute, uh, actually, uh, after I do a little closing spiel, I'll stay on for like one minute. We'll do like a, a debrief, not a straight army debrief, but you know. Um, but anyways, okay. anyways, uh, Esther, thank you so much for uh, laughing and learning with. Here we come. Okay. Wait, what? After action review. Yes, the after action. We'll do a quick after after action review. So, uh, Esther Joy King, thank you so much for laughing and learning with me tonight. Seventeenth District Congress. Any last final thoughts here? Um, thank you. I would say huge gratitude to everyone listening uh, for your interest in this race, your interest in learning about me as a person. Uh, thank you. Please reach out and connect with me if you'd like. My my. Email is Esther at estherforcongress.com. I'm Esther for Congress on all the social media platforms. Um, probably Instagram is my favorite platform. So that's the best. And Facebook, actually. Facebook I spend a lot of time on too. But um, please connect with me. I look forward to, to meeting you. And if you're particularly if you're in the Illinois 17th Congressional District, um, I would love to have your support and just be incredibly grateful for your vote this election. There you have it, everyone. Esther Joy King, 17th District. Have a wonderful evening.